There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 17th of October 2011. For newcomers, you should help yourself to CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. There's hundreds of hours of talks to download or listen to at your leisure, where hopefully you'll understand this incredibly complex system you're born into and find out how it really works and why it works this way and who put it together, where they're going with it and and how they're altering culture generation by generation uh, very quickly now, of course, even during your lifetime. Many, many changes indeed. Uh, and they actually have plans to bring it into a, this is what they call a new world order, a new order of things, a new order of ruling the world, running the world, organizing the world and everything in it. And you're going through some of the biggest changes that have happened since the Industrial Revolution, where across Europe especially, millions of people were just shipped off the, the old farms and into the cities to man these machines for the Industrial Age. And that was a massive uh, shake-up. And same thing is happening now as we, as we basically get moved into the we're already overcrowded cities with massive immigration because of labor flow, because of the WTO organizations and their treaties to do with free flow of labor and goods. And really, we're going to be crammed together because they don't want people living on the land in Agenda 21 at the United Nations. They want us all crammed in the cities where we can get watched and, and monitored 24 hours per day. Most happy, most folk are quite happy with it already, actually. They don't really believe that privacy is a very, a very personal or, or, or desperate thing to hold on to or even why we should want to hold on to it. So they're almost there already in their, their observation part of it, but they have to have everyone pretty well into this system. Designed a long time ago, and we're just going through the phases of it right now because we live through a script. Your whole life is scripted. The next hundred years and more is scripted, in fact, as to where the world is supposed to be. Now, you're the listeners that bring me to you, the audience that bring me to you, so you can help support me by buying the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, if you look into the website, you'll find that you can still use a personal check to Canada or an international postal money order. You can also use PayPal. You'll find out how to do it on the com site. And some people just send cash. It's up to you. Straight donations are really welcome in this day and age because, as we all know, inflation, or quantitative easing as they call it, it's not inflation, is going rather rampant. And it's got quite a long ways to go yet. And across the rest of the world, you've got Western Union MoneyGram and, again, PayPal to order and also to donate because uh, that's what you're left with there. You, they can, at one time, every country could use postal orders internationally, but not anymore, only from the U.S. to Canada and vice versa. So I don't know why that is. It's tightening up all their security, I suppose, in case you send granny a few bucks once in a while. But uh, these are the biggest changes I see. Now, we're, we're run really by big organizations that are privately owned. It doesn't matter if they're registered as a corporation or a charity or a foundation or whatever. They're, they're funded by 
the big foundations. They're all funded by them. The NGOs are all funded by them too. And the big foundations were set up by so-called incredibly wealthy philanthropists who were generally involved or still are involved in the money system, the ones that rule the world basically through cash, uh, to bring in the kind of world that they want, you see. They don't sit back and say eventually the people will retaliate against us uh, what we're going to do about it. They make sure that if there's any retaliation, it's going to end up in their favor. And they always get the people to protest exactly what they want you to bring in. And that's what they do. They're always in charge. Be at it for many centuries. And they're, they're, certainly, they're certainly not they're no slackers when it comes to understanding the public, the masses as they like to call them. But they love to use the masses as well. You'll always find the bankers use both sides, right wing, left wing, because in the middle are the bankers, they're behind the shield of the big bird. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix and just wondering about the the big protests. They're, they're just too well organized across the world. And, of course, the so-called NGOs, all the left-wing groups, are pushing for everything that comes along the pike, basically the greening system, uh, the carbon system, the save nature system, all the, the other. They're all getting in the act, of course. There's thousands of organizations across the world all being coordinated together in a common task. And I looked at a couple of uh, very short video clips. That's all I can see with satellite download. And uh, the signs everywhere and even people presenting um, talks to do with the end of capitalism, etc., etc. But they haven't exactly said what they want to replace it with. I guess that's up to your imagination. And, of course, we know what it's going to be. They want, again, uh, the, the, the governments to take over uh, the, the system and nationalize the banks, which is the worst thing you can do again because they still end up giving themselves massive fortunes to their, to their top uh, CEOs. That, that one of the banks in Britain, I think it's the Bank of Scotland, Royal Bank of Scotland, is actually owned 90-odd percent by the government, and they, they were one of the worst, worst losers in the last crash uh, for all their, their phony uh, mortgages and so on and bubbles. And right after they got their big bailout from the taxpayer, they uh, started giving out their multi-million dollar pound handouts to their CEOs once again. So it doesn't really matter. You see, you've you got to understand that, as I say, left-wing and right-wing are both used in this system. And that's the beauty of having um, the masses. The masses are the masses. Uh, comprised maybe of individuals, but these individuals kind of lose themselves when they caught up in the rush. And many of them don't know they're being used by professionals at the top. And there certainly are professionals involved. There's no doubt at all about it, too. The system has to change because the same corrupt people uh, have been in the same business for so long managing, uh, so, so <laughs> mismanaging the money. I guess it depends whose side you're on. If you're on the side of the bankers at the top, they're managing it very well for themselves and reaping the profits in the, in the meantime. But they're the biggest welfare recipients uh, that's ever existed on the planet, basically outside the other corporations. And we're supposed to keep this, this system going uh, for how long? Until I do again? Because it always plundered you at least twice every century and uh, profit awfully handsomely. They're, they're, they never lose, actually. And if you go into the, the memoirs of people who are very rich during the last Great Depression, they call it, uh, you'll find that they, uh, they admit they never even noticed the Depression personally themselves. It didn't affect them whatsoever. They were way above that. 
and, uh, and so are the big bankers to themselves. They never suffer what they cause everyone else to suffer. There's never any criminality involved, or at least charges pressed or going to jail. Even, you know, understand, if someone does a violent act, uh, they have to go up and answer to it, to a court or something. But these people sit calmly, like good psychopaths, with an intelligent psychopaths, and they calmly discuss, long before they crash the banks, that they're going to have to crash the banks, Personally, I think it's even worse than that. I think when they were, when they basically um, took all the safeguards and the watchdogs off them to try the other old system out where the market was supposedly balanced itself, um, I think then they knew they'd run it in the grounds. And, uh, and they probably discussed at the very beginning, we shall do that. We'll run it into ground, reap massive profits, and then crash it, and the governments will have to bail us out. They leave nothing to chance, you know, nothing at all. So it has to stop one way or another. And anyway, the whole thing with money has to be looked at once again. Uh, and it really, honestly and sincerely this time, you can't leave the same people managing this money system. And there's no reason at all, of course, that governments could issue their own cash instead of going to private banks. The whole idea of having a nation or a people in the first place and a government going off to private banks to borrow at compound interest is absolutely ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous and when we're supposed to have um, any kind of sovereignty whatsoever. And even for the internationalists who don't believe in sovereignty, uh, do you really want the same system running a world system, a private, uh, where they're all going to private banks for everything and being ripped off again? You know, it can't go on like that. So uh, something has to be done. And as I say, um, the scam of money is ancient, and the, the people who do the scamming have been really ruling countries and nations and empires for many, many centuries. They're, they're not stupid people. And I hope people really realize that. They're not stupid. If they uh, are putting up with um, protests against them, believe you me, when you tie it in with the big think tanks, and everything they've been talking about to do with the coming new order, it all ties in together. It will appear to have a new system, but it'll be a flat tax across the board, across the planet. That's what they're really after, a world tax for a world system. And uh, value-added taxes, uh, purchase taxes and everything, uh, all kinds of taxes and fees uh, will, will come in. And really, it's, it's really a, a, a turning... Um, they're flattening the board again. They're leveling the players in the field until we're equally poor at the bottom. But then in all utopias, you've got to have the better people, you see, to live better than you and manage you regardless. And that's what they want to emerge. So always think who you're backing up when you protest, even if you, your protest is genuine. Many of them are not, and the, the well-funded ones certainly are not. And who wants to live under a communist system anyway? Do you? Do you really want that? Do you want a little commissar telling you this is how you must behave, think, and, and do, and, and how you speak, and uh, what you can and can't say, etc., etc., etc.? Do you really want that system? I don't. I don't. Now, it's up to you. But anyway, as I said at the beginning of the broadcast, privacy is part of it too. And uh, we live in a system where the, the train, uh, one generation, they can do so many changes in one generation now, where it used to take uh, 70 years to change the habits or, or the way people looked at things with masses propaganda. Now uh, they can change it every two or three years, introduce new things all the time. Once they have you adapting quickly to things and you have no norms to hang on to, uh, then you're in free fall, you see, and you're being guided along in your free fall as to where you're supposed to end up. 
with all your points of view and your reality. And most folk adapt through it. They were thinking that they had been guided right through their lives with all their conclusions into all the big changes that are planned for them. And some of them have already come in. And they think it's all quite normal. They have no idea that thousands of think tanks and experts and, and, and big wigs at academia uh, are been working full time on doing all that, making sure that you're steered into the right way of thinking, doing, behaving, and looking at the world and yourself too. But it's been like that for an awful, awful long time. We're already under this system. In the 1800s, it talked about this. Uh, even the old crazy woman Blavatsky talked about it. She said a, a system would come in where people's opinions would all be given to them, and they wouldn't know how they arrived at them. But they would definitely arrive at these opinions, guaranteed. And you think that uh, neuroscience is a new thing in psychology and psycholinguistics uh, and, and, and neurolinguistics. Are all, no, they knew this a long, long time ago. Long time. It's a very old species, mankind, you know. And nothing's been studied so, so incredibly uh, as, as much as humanity itself. Forget the animals. Now, as we're going to talk about... Um, Spying on the public. People are now taking it for granted that, that we should be spied on. The second don't really get up in arms about it or even demonstrate against all the, the spying that goes on in their lives anymore. Partly because they've adapted to all the little toys they've been given, you see. That's made up for it. Oh, well, I get all this convenience and the same. Okay, well, I'll trade off this. You can't trade off privacy because the, the history of the world is full of horror. Absolute horrors that come along every so often. And uh, it makes it so much easier for those who want to do horror upon you uh, when they have all the information upon you. It could be because of your points of view, for instance. It could be because of your religion or an ethnic background or something like that. But most folk never, ever think about it. And they're giving all their details up to all these organizations they think are just uh, private companies. They're not private at all. They're all part of the NSA. Don't listen to the rubbish they put out about geniuses coming up with this and that and so on. It's all done uh, by experts at the top, and they always use front people to launch something. Even great scientists, who are guys they claim are great, are launched to be made a star, a celebrity. Old idea too, by the way. Now, when you're driving your car, and people know this too, they know that um, uh, the big car makers have been putting black boxes in your cars for quite some years now. And um, people were told, they thought it was the year 2000 or so. And it's been actually longer than that. And this article hears about that. It says, your own car might just tattle on you if you're at fault. Now forget that. That throws you off in a way of thinking right away. It's giving you a premise and in a direction of thought. It shouldn't be tattling you at all at any time, at fault or not. It says so-called event data recorders that function much like the black boxes and airplanes in which are now installed and on virtually all new vehicles can give investigators incriminating details about your driving behavior in the final seconds before a crash. So this is the excuse for putting it in. I was giving an excuse. And one of the guys says, I didn't think my 98 Saturn was new enough to have the data recorder, but apparently it does. And I think it should be up to me to decide how and where I share that information with someone else. Uh, why should you be, give it to, why should you, you, why should you even think about sharing it with someone else? It's your car. It's your person. 
it should be private to you. He says, if I were given the opportunity to agree to have this on a vehicle and I buy it, then that's probably it would be okay. In other words, you've given the choice. He says, but if I own the car, he says, my business, what's on the recorder, and no one should be able to access unless I say so. Details that can be scrutinized include how fast the vehicle was going, as well as whether the brakes or accelerator were being pressed, which way the car was being steered, and yes, even where the occupants were wearing their seatbelts. I wonder if Elson knows what you're doing. Hmm? The data is also being, uh, always being recorded, but it's only safe to the device's memory if an airbag deploys or to make her say. That's not true because um, I've talked to some guy, uh, mechanics who deal with the, this, this is a special department, and they, they go by the year, actually. They know exactly <laughs> the whole history for the whole darn year and the dates of everything. Back in a minute with more on this after this break. I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and just talking about the black boxes and and the fact that you've got no choice in these matters anymore today with the new brand new cars. So they're giving you no choice at all. They're simply in them, and you accept them. Or if you want the car, or that's that. You can't disable them either, apparently, because they say it's integral to the car's computer system, and it would upset all the rest of the stuff. So I don't know. Some, I'm sure someone out there knows how to do it. But uh, it's just disgusting that you're not only getting tracked and traced with a lot of different versions of cars, GM especially with OnStar, but you're also getting all this data collected all the time on you. And uh, I think it's pretty disgusting. But most folk will put up with it too. They just put up with things and they adapt and they adapt. As as Darwin says, we're the most adaptable species and that works against us uh, because there's those at the top who know how to use our adaptation processes for their own particular use. And... It's also the same thing, too, with um, the putting cameras. They want to put cameras in the cars. Now, this is the next step. I'll put a link up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the broadcast about that, too. And all these articles I mentioned, in fact, I put the links up at the end of the night. But uh, they want to put cameras in your car as well. And uh, no doubt to, to, to see who's in it. That's the real reasons I'll be in it. Never mind what excuses they give you. But so the government's thinking about actually making it mandatory. And uh, how wonderful a system where you just can't get away anywhere. You know, Orwell had that in his, his book, 1984, and even in the, the, the film versions of it too, you, they had the same thing, where even they had microphones and, and so on and trees and cameras and trees in the forests. So everywhere you went, you're being watched somewhere. And then we found out just a few years ago they're actually doing that. They're actually putting microphones along the forestry in case the people came on these preserved areas and had no right to be there. Uh, it's just just astonishing. We're living in this system. But most folk will they'll protest their, their student fees and their loans and the whole bit and the payments, but they won't protest the fact that they're growing up in a world with utterly no privacy whatsoever. You know, they don't mind. You understand, when you don't mind about privacy, uh, your survival instinct is defunct, is kaput, is finished. It's finished. And how bad it really gets, too, is to do with propaganda. You live through propaganda. All mainstream, uh, and a lot of the non-mainstream, is propaganda. Everybody wants you to think a certain way, or do a certain thing, or join something, 
And whenever you're asked to join something, I'm always weary because it's always to, to benefit something you, you think you understand, but you don't. Someone else is, wants to use you, in other words, for some purpose or other. So be very, very careful about that. But here's an article here about the Euro Parliament in, in Brussels, this big, this new Soviet system that's ruled by secrecy at the top, where they won't even tell you who's at the top of it. And they have members of parliament that do nothing except sort of make little uh, sarky comments at each other, snide comments, little giggles and laughs, but they have no power to change anything or introduce laws or change laws. It's all done by the secret bunch above them, and they, they call this democracy. Anyway, the Euro Parliament opens its own propaganda centre, and you're paying for it. Today was the first open day of the new parliamentarium at the European Parliament here in Brussels. The thing is billed as a visitor centre, but in, in fact it's a propaganda centre, a multi-million pound way for the members of the European Parliament to stroke their own egos. So how many multi-millions of taxpayers' money has gone into this thing? The Parliament's press, people admit, uh, uh, 18 million pounds has been spent on it. But with the bookkeeping standards in the EU institutions, the real amount is anybody's guess, because they lied about everything else before this. Besides being of a, a, a vanity project for the members of the European Parliament, things also a way for the EU institutions to brainwash school children who are invited to come in groups to join a multimodal role play game in which they can take on the role of a member of the European Parliament and go through all the steps needed to approve a new European law. Well, I guess you give them a bunch of cash and tell them how to bribe somebody. Yes, laws come from Europe, not from Westminster anymore, but I'd hardly take a British child on holiday to Brussels to celebrate that disaster. Take him instead to the House of Commons and let him lay a wreath. But it's worse than that. Consider what kind of exhibitions the children would be herded past on the way to the 360-degree digital projection of the Parliament's plenary chamber. Most revolting is a long dark corridor with a line of illuminated pictures which are part of a journey through time. Run an eight-year-old child past those and you will come out at the end imagining and what appears to be the purpose that before the European institutions set up shop, the countries of the European continent could be nothing but a rubble-strewn wasteland. They're actually eradicating the history for these children, you understand. There was nothing happened before it was created. Everybody lived in mud huts and uh, wore furs, I guess. Uh, and that was it, and run about with clubs. I'm not kidding you. Yeah. Examples, just one picture illustrates Italy in the early 20th century, and it shows Mussolini's march in Rome, the Netherlands in 1949, a grim border post with nearby propaganda, insisting that transport across Europe was very complicated and had to overcome various bureaucratic obstacles. Well, they didn't give you pat-downs in those days, actually. It was quite easy to get through. Amazing. This is an EU institution tutting bureaucratic obstacles. Go ask the first small businessman you've kind, uh, you, you find about just what sort of bureaucratic obstacles the EU now puts up to him getting on and doing his business anywhere, much less across borders. Then Poland gets two pictures to illustrate its history. The first picture is 1939 Nazis. Nothing happened before that. There was no Poland. You know. Second picture, 1943, more Nazis. Spain, 1939, gets a picture of Republican forces who were defeated by Franco, but the Parliament spares the Republican forces any mention of their Soviet communist backing. Well, it doesn't surprise me when you look at this, who, who set up and who runs at the top this new Soviet European Union. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Just talking about how children going through this new EU propaganda building they've erected there. Uh, they're showing that the children are showing nothing but horror and uh, prim- primitivism, basically, in all the countries and through all these photographs. And uh, that's, that's imprinted in their minds with the very young, remember. And it tells you how bad things were, all things so terrible, etc. There's no culture whatsoever. And it says, then Poland gets two pictures to illustrate its picture. It's history. First, the Nazis. Second picture, more Nazism. Spain threatening. It's a picture of Republican forces. No mention of the Soviet communist backing for the, for the other side. The United Kingdom finally gets a mention on the history wall. And this ought to frighten the wits of any eight-year-old you might be foolish enough to take to this place. It shows you London, 1941. Children at Causeway School sitting in class wearing gas masks while the recording repeats over and over again. What in concrete and practical terms does the independence of nations mean in the world of today, a world of the closest economic and political interdependence, which means the destiny of all mankind is indivisible. And then Berlin, poverty, hunger, 1948. And then Hallelujah, which is the response we're supposed to have since we're, what we're dealing with here is a temple dedicated to the cult of Europe, a picture of a European movement gathering in Brussels in 1949, a mass gathering in support of European unification. So I looked pretty close to it. I couldn't see any acknowledgement that, that uh, through the 1950s and into the 1960s, the European movement was secretly financed by the CIA as part of its Cold War strategy against the Soviet bloc. And um, it says, nor for my example was there any mention that the poverty and hunger in Berlin in that 1948 picture was caused not by enough uh, Europe, but by too much Soviet aggression. The Soviet communists blockaded Berlin, and the only thing that kept the people from of Berlin alive was the Berlin airlift led by the Royal Air Force and the U.S. Air Force and other Allied forces, all of them from countries which the Europeans of today dismiss as Anglo-Saxon. It says, nor indeed was there any mention I could find because the Stuttgart firm that designed this expedition, or rather designed at your expense, a dynamic sequence of individual environments like spotlights coming out of darkness resulting in some of the most unpleasant, hard-to-see individual environments you could imagine, Sorry, I started to say that there was no mention I could find it, uh, of the way the Marshall Plan money from the United States taxpayers turned that rubble of Germany into the industrial giant of the 1960s. Airlift Marshall Plan, and on and on. And you'd think the members of the European Parliament would at least find a spot in a dynamical sequence of individual environments to put up a poster saying, thank you, Uncle Sam. And on it goes, and on it goes, and on it goes. In other words, pure... Uh, left propaganda. It's run by the bankers, the same bankers, boys, that run all of us, you know. The left, the left is all run by the bankers. They prefer a socialist society. Uh, that's, that's really, um, uh, massive bureaucracies running the people beneath them in a very Soviet type style. Very, it's very, it's very orderly for them. Everything's orderly. Everything can be done very quickly, uh, through any, any segment of society because of the massive bureaucracies. And they love big bureaucracies too. It means governments are always borrowing from you to pay all the cash that they're going to pay their employees and for all their projects. So this is the system run by really the far right that owns the far left. 
doing the same old darn thing again and recreating history all over once again for you. Can't get away from it, doesn't matter where you look. They've, they've been at it for centuries, as I say. They're not stupid. And uh, they know what's coming up. They don't let things happen. They make sure that they guide all movements. And actually, they put out the leaders to often guide them for them. Now, there's, there's callers there. There's Larry from L.A. Are you there, Larry? Larry? Hello? Yeah, now you can you hear me, Alan? Yeah, I can, yeah. Okay, good. You mentioned an act of violence, and I've been wondering why generation after generation the children are brought up and they get it in them that they want to join some kind of army and they really want to kill another man. Mm-hmm. Well, now where it says that all persons, now we're going to take the definition of persons here as people, all persons born or naturalized and subject to the law. The words and subject to the law right there is an act of violence because no man or men or paper with ink on it has the right to subjugate all people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, that's true. I mean, a dictator can do that, too, you know. We're brought up in a society uh, where acts of violence, even in the words they call law, are brought against us as little children up through the schools, and uh, it teaches them that it's uh, some kind of a glorious thing to go kill your fellow man. Oh, absolutely. I I just watched a documentary. Uh, It's it's about psychopaths, actually, but it's how they they use what they've learned about the psychopathic person to indoctrinate the, the Marines and other soldiers too so they, they can make them go off and kill because they admit it's not a natural thing for, for humans to do, you know, for normal folk to do. But uh, they actually use those techniques that they've learned through psychiatry and psychology and experiments to train them to go off and be killers. So they will not even think about it. They'll just kill by reflex, basically. Uh, so you're, you're quite right, you know. And it's an odd thing. It's, you're quite right, too. It's an oddest thing where you'd be punished at home for, for killing someone. And, and at the same time, uh, you, you're awarded to go off abroad and kill uh, for a system, a, a private corporation that owns you. <laughs> That's exactly right. Now, on those uh, uh, black boxes, the cameras now got signs on them that says they're going to give you a speeding ticket. So it went from a red light to a speeding camera. And the 2010 automobile that I bought from the factory came with no radio in it. But uh-huh. it's got an antenna on it, and it's transmitting. It's transmitting, sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. They want to know everywhere you're going, where you've been, how long you stayed, and, you know, what route you took back, and, yeah. Yeah, and it's already in the police cars. He can be sitting 10 miles down the road just waiting for you because they can already see that you're speeding. Mm-hmm. And also, it's sad in Article 2, this article here I'll put up tonight, that they can, uh, they know how many folk are in the car, and if you've used, if they're all using their seatbelts. Yeah. yeah. Oh, whether well, the seatbelts plugged in, and I figured out what the airbags are for. Mm-hmm. They're to make sure that the vehicle's totaled, so they can do commerce and sell a new vehicle, and they're yeah. to make sure that you have a good record. So, because if I'm doing 70, and a deer runs out and I hit it. It's going to set off my airbag. Now, I may have controlled the vehicle. The deer flew over the top of the car, but everybody's all right. But I'll lose control of that vehicle when the 200-mile-an-hour bag hits me in the face. Yes, you would. You would, yeah. You would. And quite a lot of folk get killed by them. But I knew they wanted to total the vehicles when they gave you plastic bumpers. I knew that was the start of it and told you they were better than metal ones. <laughs> I knew it then, too. 
And another thing they're doing to uh, uh, make sure that people have wrecks and hurt themselves and run the insurance business and the hospitals and doctors and all that is they're making the windshields down here. Now, just like the side windows, they're so black you can't look across the intersection and see that person's face. Really, yeah. How many times you've been sitting at a four-way stop and you look over and you make eye contact with that person and he tells you to just go ahead? Or how would you like to be on the ground working with a shovel around a big caterpillar, and that caterpillar operator a black tube around him, and you can't see his face. Yeah, that, that would make you feel too safe at all. No. no. <laughs> and so it's the same thing in a, in a vehicle as working by that caterpillar. There's no difference. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You need eye contact and it's even the gestures or, or just the facial expressions tell you, give you an idea what they're going to do. You know, yeah. yeah. You know whether or not they can identify and are seeing you. Mm-hmm. Uh, simple as that. So that's yeah. the reason for the black glass. Run more commerce, sell more vehicle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and the crumple cars, the cars that crumple when they hit something at five miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, uh, I just you, I heard that act of violence, and I'm starting to realize there's lots of acts of violence around us as we're brought up as children. Now, I'm because when I joined the Army at, you know, at a younger age, you know, I went off in my mind thinking, well, I'm going to go kill somebody now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, in my older age, of course, I realized how insane that is. Yeah, we, we, men especially, boys... Uh, they, they gotta grow up. You gotta grow up and realize, no, this, this, this is not a fantasy. This is not playing anymore. And, uh, there's repercussions for everything that we do. Yeah. Everything. Okay. Well, thank you, Alan. And thanks for calling. Yeah, but that gets me too. This is tables of people coolly and calmly deliberating to crash economies and profit off them and put thousands into misery and probably death, starvation, who knows what across the world. But we don't call them murderers. That's that's odd to me. That's very, very strange to me, to be honest with you. Just because they're not caught with a, a club in their hands. Someone with a club might be doing it spontaneously. You see someone just blowing up. No, these guys do it calmly and deliberately. And they rule over us. And believe you me, they'll use all the systems, all the left wing, right wing, to keep themselves in power. Clean the games. Now there's Steve and... Oregon as well there. There, Steve. Hello, Alan. Hey, um, I wanted you to let you know whenever I call, I'll never debate you because you know so much more than I do. And the more that I learn, the less I know. I usually call because um, I have questions. I think iron sharpens iron, and I think the wise man has many counsels. <laughs> yep. And talk to you about a hundred things, but I'm just going to get to one one right now. I'd love to talk to you, you know, a long time. I'm just going to get to one. And that is, um, there is this thing that just came to my attention over this year. Oh, I need to let you know one thing. I got so bored of everybody else that I didn't even want to I didn't even want to go on the internet. I don't want to do anything. And then I ran into you about six months ago and I started listening to you and you're about the only one that stimulates my, my thought process. And I really appreciate you for that. Okay, I'll get to my question. Is um there is this thing that came to me because I don't I go back in history is what I do. And I did you thing and I like that. I go all the way back to where, and I know the Bible might be a bastardized and all that. Sorry if that word doesn't fit, but um, but all that I do understand that it still has a lot of really great information. And I look back, and there's one thing that come to me, and I'd like your opinion on this, and is there's this thing called the two feet bloodline. So I guess where it came from, Alan, was if you want to look at biblical scripture, which I kind of put my head above that and try to think you know, higher than that. But if you want to look at that, there was this two bloodline thing. 
where actually Eve did not eat an apple like they told me when I was a kid. We had relations with the other bloodline, you know. And I just wondered what you thought about that, because that goes back really far and it's biblical and all that kind of stuff. I just was wondering what your thought process on that might be, because through my research, it could probably maybe be true. But I don't know, and I just thought... No. Uh, You know, the, the people who put it together... Uh, weren't really childish. I mean, it's a very fairy tale, childish story, isn't it? And um, so there's obviously something deeper behind it. And of course, the whole Old Testament um, is it's a book on how to how to manipulate uh, power, basically, uh, really, and, and and a system too. It gives you all the clues in a system, and not only of money, uh, but of slavery, uh, and and how that's okay, etc., etc. But uh, if you go into the, the different schools of thought on it, and here's the thing, two Christians have their indoctrination into uh, the Old Testament, say, and other sects have, um, and, and Judaic sects have a different indoctrination into the, the Old Testament, where things are explained in far more detail because they use the Talmud along with it, and most Christians are oblivious to that. Most rabbinical teaching is about 97% Talmudic and not Old Testament. And uh, they, they're allowed to question everything. The one good thing about the Talmud is they are allowed to question everything uh, that doesn't quite make sense to them uh, without it being blasphemy. And uh, they, go on, they go into that whole thing with the Garden of Eden. And there's many hints, of course, that uh, isn't just Eve wasn't the first wife, apparently. Uh, that there were other ones. Lilith was one of them. And, and of course, the Eden, even Eden wasn't the first beginning, they claim. There were failed ones before it, almost like experiments. And um, uh, they don't say it was eating an apple at the tree. It was a pomegranate. And uh, pomegranate really was a, a symbol because of so many seeds in it. It's very symbolic of the ovary, actually. It's a strange uh, symbolism. Uh, and, and seed to come, the people of the seed, remember. Uh, so you're looking at something more, a deeper, a deeper meaning behind the simplistic version that's given uh, to, to everyone else. But, yeah, I understand the two bloodline thing that you're talking about, too. The serpent was in the garden, and, uh, of course, um, it wasn't because the serpent made her eat something. It was, as you say, it's to do with uh, something that was pre-existent, by the way. Um, in Genesis, it tells you the serpent was over the waters, etc., etc. But it, it tells you that, uh, it gives you a little clues that there's, it's a being, basically, maybe from a previous time, a previous creation, as they would say in, in the Talmudic writings, uh, that came through a higher intellect, whatever. I mean, Ad, you know, Adam wasn't too bright, you understand, uh, and um, neither was Eve. Uh, in fact, the whole idea of original sin was that they were kind of happy, uh, happy in their low IQ, low understanding, because, and they couldn't understand guilt because they were too dumb to even know what that meant, you know. Uh, and suddenly they underst- understood good and evil. So it's to do with something far, far deeper than that. Um, and, and of course, the story of a betrayal by Eve is one of them. And then they go into the, the Cain line and the Abel line and, and, and so on and so on. So uh, it, it's far, far deeper and symbolic of, of all the stuff that's, that's given. And it would take hours to explain each avenue of thought that they've already gone through. Uh, in the past, uh, and even rabbinical thinking of, on all of this stuff. 
But you're, you're kind of on the right lines of, of what they, they also conclude. There's also a difference between um, the, the, Adamac, the Adamic line, Adamic line as you call it. Uh, there's different schools of thought on that one. Um, and also in Genesis, John Lewis, there's two creations. There's, he first created man and woman, created he them in his own image. And then there was no one to till the soil, so then he created Adam. And then it came Eve. So you've got two lineages even there again. And you, you'll find this throughout the Bible. This, this two lineage ideal crops up and, uh, over and over again, um, with different stories. So it, it's very interesting. But part of it goes to, a, as I say, maybe a pre-existing, uh, something there. In other words, serpent, the serpent, uh, also, uh, or Lucifer definitely, um, represents intellect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's very interesting, man. I would talk to you more, and I will call soon again. And I really appreciate you. And I think everything you just said is kind of where my thought was, and I really appreciate your time and and, and iron sharpening iron with me. And I really appreciate yeah. that, Alan. And thanks for calling. Yeah. We take care. But uh, yeah, it, it's um, it's a whole different school of thought when you go into as you try to bring it all together, not just the one part. You've got to have all of it there to, to try and make your... But as I say, that's the one good thing within Judaism itself is that the, the rabbis are allowed to debate all the things that not, don't make, quite make sense or to find out why this would happen. And they'll debate it into the earth, actually, into all kinds of avenues. They can lose you. But um, the Christians are just stick with the basic story and the rib story, etc., and, and all of that. So, interesting, looking at, at Greece, too, in this European Union... They're talking about pawning off, pawning off Greece, going to the pawn shop. I'll be back with the story after this break. We're back, cutting through the matrix. And this wonderful European Union, again, we've become the same for, for the North American amalgamation too. It's eventually the whole continent too. It's still going on, by the way. Uh, they publish the occasional bit in the, the Canadian papers here. I don't know if they put anything in the U.S. papers at all. They're still amalgamating the Americas. But uh, it's Euro first, and of course they all have to go down the tubes into debt to the bankers to save one country. You all commit suicide to save one country that's in debt to the bankers. It's not just common sense, right? Anyway, Greece could use state-owned real estate assets as collateral for new bonds to raise more than 100 billion euros under a proposal put forward by a leading Greek think tank and former conservative minister Yanis Dournaras, the head of the Foundation for Economic Industrial Research, said on Saturday the plan has been submitted to the government and would allow Athens to convert a substantial share of its public debt into a new form of asset-backed bond. In other words, it's a pawn shop. It's a pawn shop. You take all your national treasures and your assets and the whole thing, and then if you can't buy it back in time with interest, you, you lose a lot. Simple as that. So the plan would enable Greece, which expects debts to amount to more than 162% of gross domestic product this year, and which has been shut out of bond markets to reduce its public debt by 50 to 60% of GDP. Stirnara said the plan was similar to a proposal by financial experts in Germany. The main difference between the two would be that, that his plan would be under Greek management and that Greece could regain ownership if the assets, of the assets at any time by paying off the bonds. It's still a pawn shop. 
Sirra said the plan could provide an alternative for proposals that banks accept steeper losses on their holdings of Greek bonds than the 21% haircut so far agreed. The, the poor billions and billions from all these countries into this. Uh, who's dishing the cash out and who are they giving out? You know, that no one's told us. Right? No one's told us they just can't save it. Eh? It must be Greece must have turned into lead and it's sinking or something. It's, it's defying all the logic. Billions of, of, of euros, pounds and everything are thrown all the time at them. God knows how many bailouts. But we're told, we're not told where the money is gone. Where is it gone? Who gets it? Who distributes it? Who's keeping watch on it? They don't tell you a darn thing. Anyway, this is how this is the future. They want to pawn it all off, basically. And uh, this, is, this is an idea that's floated for a long, long time. It's floated years ago, in fact, by the big bankers themselves. And, it was to, and at the United Nations, land for debt swaps. And they've actually been doing that across some parts of Africa and other places. So it's the greatest con going on. And the same guys really are in charge. The same guys, by the way, that, that will back all your greenie projects, you know, that you think are just wonderful and sustainable living, etc. And will all be leveled at the bottom, living in a little, tiny, little four-by-four stand-up. Well, actually, you don't need much room nowadays. You just need a place to sit with your computer, and you could probably sleep in the same chair if it was a recliner. And so that would be sustainable living for you. You'll all be quite happy using biodegradable computers. How is that? So you can buy a new one every month. Uh, people have no idea how they're used, abused, and how every thought that comes in their head, all their indoctrination, even the things they feel passionate about, always stop and say, Why did, where did I get this passion from? Who gave it to me? Is it my own or, or was it given to me? You generally find it's been instilled in you, indoctrinated into you by very clever people. But mind you, you didn't have much of a chance when you were young. That's when they grab you. Children have no idea that parents lie to them all the time. Or adults do. Adults certainly do. Because they want to shape the minds to create the perfect little drone for the future. Russell said it. He helped work on all these projects for the school systems. And so did uh, Huxley's brother, you know, Julian Huxley. UNESCO. Yep, so much for independence and free thoughts, eh? You're, you're, it's snaffled at birth, basically. From Hamish Massey, Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>